weekly travel program, Jet Sitting with Janet, is proudly sponsored by MLT Car Hire and Tours. Are you looking for a highly professional, established vehicle rental service? Look no further. MLT Car Hire and Tours delivers on service excellence and competitive prices. Log on to mltcarhireandtours.co.za for their full range of benefits or MLT Car Hire and Tours on Facebook. Are you looking for a highly professional established vehicle rental service and shuttle service where client satisfaction is a priority? Look no further. MLT Car Hire is committed to delivering quality low mileage vehicles to suit your budget. MLT Car Hire also specializes in mini and long leases for individuals and corporates as well as staff transport and airport transfers with offices at the airport and in the Helderberg area. We are proud members of Satsa, Fedhasa and Cape Town Tourism. MLT Car Hire delivers on service excellence and competitive prices. Log on to MLT Car Hire and Tours for our full range of benefits or MLT Car Hire and Tours on Facebook. Good afternoon, Magic 828 listeners, and welcome to another edition of Jet Setting with Janet. We had lots of fun last week with our first ever podcast, and I'm sure you'll see that there's a few of these popping up on everything from wellness to politics and influences. And then, of course, what's any radio station without a red carpet? So watch out for Lenita and her red carpet reviews. Lots of exciting things happening in our beautiful city. And I must say, it's... uh, Not every day that you get to meet a man who thinks like a millennial and operates like a real seasoned strategist. So we're very happy to have in studio today, Mr. Enver Dumini, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Cape Town Tourism. Good afternoon and welcome, Enver. Uh, Good afternoon, Janet. Uh, Thank you for that intro. I'm going to look at myself in a new light now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's your action. So either you have a very young and vibrant team, but we'll hear about that. Enver, um, a little bit about you. Um, We know that you've been the CEO of Cape Town Tourism since 2013, and you've been involved in quite a few groundbreaking projects like pioneering the first ever responsible pricing policy for the tourism industry in Cape Town, and then conceptualizing the first mobile visitor information vehicle in Africa. So you see why I refer to you as a millennial, because your thinking's fresh and young and so hip and happening, judging from all the social feed that we seeing from Cape Town Tourism. Welcome again, Enver. I am very pleased to have you in studio. And we would love to hear about the work of Cape Town Tourism and all your various campaigns. So over to you. Excellent. Thank you, Janet. And firstly, uh, congratulations on your podcast. Kim C. also chatting with Janet. He's uh, also growing up. (laughs) It's a whole year old. And I'm definitely going to share this recording with my 11-year-old daughter because she thinks I'm way too old. I'm not hip. I'm not with it. So I'm going to say it came from Janet, and that is gospel. And so then I'm going to ask you, and how old is Janet? Then <laughs> 11. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Excellent. Cheerful <laughs> Mary Battle. So Janet, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I've been blessed to be part of Cape Town Tourism for for such a long time, starting of course with the World Cup, um, and then of course seeing the industry um, grow, transform, seeing the industry shrink as well over the last couple of years with from a water crisis to a pandemic. Um, but I think, you know, what, what keeps me focused and motivated and always kind of pushing the envelope 
is that we are actually a globally competitive destination from a tourism perspective. Um, and in order to make sure that we can um, stand out as a destination, no longer just as a challenger brand um, globally, but as a significant player within the tourism space, uh, we need to continuously challenge ourselves as a destination. Um, and for us, the belief has always been is that we don't believe in the status quo. We will challenge the status quo no matter where it is, whether it's within the sector itself, like a responsible pricing strategy, mm -hmm. or if it's challenging government um, around how do we support the industry through a crisis, um, right through to even challenging our, our own team members of saying, what can we do better with less? And I think it's that attitude that we continuously have because as a membership organization, we actually exist for the benefit of our members and the wider tourism sector. And that is a calling. Um, and it's something we believe in day and night. Um, and also it's just, I think, you know, once you're in the tourism sector, there's no other sector like it. I've been in IT sector, I've been in financial services. And I can tell you now, the tourism sector is one that once it gets into your blood, it remains a part of you forever. And it's something that is so transformative in its ability as a sector to change the lives of not just tourists, but of locals in such a positive way that other sectors actually struggle to do what we can do from both a corporate perspective, but especially from a community perspective. So yeah, it, it's, it's enriching, it's rewarding and challenging at the same time. Well, it's not every sector, Enver, that has a war room in its in its headquarters, right? So whether that's a virtual war room that's dealt with everything from the water crisis to electricity woes and the pandemic, I think that uh, the thing that stands out for the sector is that Cape Town tourism seems to be on top of things. And, you know, in a time when everything around us was tumbling, it was sort of a, it really was a beacon for a lot of people. People could say, you know, there are people there who are doing things, they're lobbying, they're mobilizing, they're making things happen. We can pick up the phone, we can talk to someone and say, this is what I'm experiencing. How can you assist with this or that? And I think that has been the strength of your office and your team. Yeah, thank you, Janet. And, and I mean, those are, are, are comforting words. Um, but again, Captain Tourism doesn't live in a vacuum. Um, we exist not only for our members, but because of our members. And the one thing that we are proud of is, is that when you look at the United Nations World Tourism Organization, they actually commend Cape Town Tourism and the model we have, which has been around for four decades now, as one of the best in the world. And mm -hmm. it's because we have this, this environment where government, industry, and community sit around the table and talk about how we can do things together. That, and how do we all benefit from it? And you, you don't find it in lots of organizations. They're either purely a membership organization and government's on the other side of the table, um, or they are purely community NPO, where they focus on the community and industry is seen on the other side of the table. And then, of course, government always sees everybody else on the other side of the table, no matter how it is. Yes, and Captain Tourism has been that unique thing that was actually created by, which we are referred to as our parents, mm -hmm. um, industry and government coming together and saying, how do we use the best of what we have? How do we combine it? And then how do we also leverage the best of what we have to be more responsive? And, and I think that is what has helped us through the pandemic because it's the advice of the board who are industry-led 
as well as a government that sits on the same board and says, what can we do to make things better? What are the things that we are doing that could be impeding or be a barrier for growth? And I think by having kind of our parents in the room, not fighting with each other, um, you know, has, has also raised us up as this kind of 40-year-old kid now, as kept on tourism, <laughs> into understanding that, you know, we can't be, um, it, we don't make these decisions in a vacuum, but at one stage, this 40-year-old kid now needs to move out of the house and take care of its parents at some stage. And that's why one of our core focuses as Cape Town Tourism is to grow self-generated revenue, to be less dependent on city funding, but also to be able to look after members. And I think to your example is in the pandemic, as Cape Town Tourism, one of the things that we were clear on is that we actually um, offered free membership for two years. And the reason we could do that is because we have savings that we've made um, during the financial year. Uh, or the previous financial years. So I think, again, you know, for us, it's that beautiful combination of it's truly a family and hospitality. Mm-hmm. Well, what I'm hearing is that there's a, there's a very healthy fiscus. It's an enabling environment. And I think one of the key issues is being able to collaborate with other organizations. There's been a lot of innovation within your sector, within your office, and transformation has been key in that. But you also seem to have a conversation with every single organization, and I have to ask where you find the time, but also to be able to be consultative to that point where people feel like they've been engaged. And I'm talking organizational level. So is that part of the strategy? Is that something that has proven to you to be the root of the success? And how are those conversations happening going forward? So a a very good question, um, Janet. And I think this stems from the fact that, and it's a phrase that our friends at FedHouse have coined, called co-opetition. Um, we do compete, but we also collaborate. And I remember a conversation we had some time back with uh, David Frost of Satsa. Mm-hmm. One of the things that he highlighted that the pandemic has done is actually forces to collaborate and, and rely on each other a little bit more. Because actually, you know, there's an old expression that he also uses, you know, it's a rising tide uh, raises all boats or ships. And that's the thing about tourism is, is that, you know, as much as we compete for maybe the same market share, we do it in a collegial way where it's done with respect. And because the tourism sector is, and the value chain is so extensive, uh, organizations like Cape Town Tourism cannot cover all of it. Um, and for us, the, the importance of partnerships with other associations, whether it's FedHasa, Satsa, Saki, the list goes on Black Management mm-hmm. Forum from time to time, is purely because the thing is, is that associations exist for its members and members want to see themselves benefit. But what we do is we actually find ways to collaborate um, when we have common issues, either as associations or one association may have a, a more pertinent um, issue that they are challenged with that we can also support in the lobbying efforts. Because I think also, you know, we've earned the respect of a lot of the the industry for collaborating a lot more than trying to, you know, take members away from each other. Because at the end of the day, we know that um, small businesses want access to different segments at different times. Mm -hmm. They may be a member of all the associations, but for different reasons. The one thing that we look at is saying, okay, how do we make it more cost-effective so that it doesn't, you know, cost someone to double dip for a similar type of benefit. So there's not collusion in any sense of the way, but it's about how we actually co coexist in a space 
that is actually going to require all of us. And, and how we do add value to members because absolutely. the financial impact of being a member of all the organizations is quite vast. Yeah. And yeah. not it's not affordable. And certainly post COVID is not affordable for and here am I talking like COVID is over. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the economy that we find ourselves, yeah. it's certainly uh, very beneficial for members yeah. to be able to get the kind of discounts that are being offered yeah. for co-membership. Absolutely. And and it's something we take quite seriously. I mean, we, we, we don't sit around the table and say, okay, what's the prices we're going to charge? We don't do that. But what we do say is that if you're a member of one association, you know, uh, and you want to become a member of another association, just, you know, say that you're a member of the other association, we'll just check it and then we give you the discount. Because I think at the end of the day is people are going to do trade-offs um, for membership. But I think the one thing that you said is the value add. How do we add value to members? So even as Cape Town Tourism now is we are reviewing our membership program. We do that every year. And the one factor is cost. So for us, it's going to be critically important of no matter what we're going to put on the table is, is it affordable? Mm -hmm. And will it add value to the member um, rather than it just being a tick box exercise? So we're even again doing a lot of self-reflection as an organization when it comes to our members, because we know we exist because of our members. So, yeah, it, it's an ongoing journey. And I think how we formulate it and continue the conversation at the strategic association level is through um, a, a a grouping which we refer to as JAMS. Mm -hmm. Now, it's an acronym that stands for Joint Association Member Meetings. doesn't mean a lot, but all it means is that the associations get together on a quarterly basis uh, where we discuss issues that may affect either of us or our members or collectively where there's regulations. And then what we look at is how do we get our members into the same room um, or online to raise these questions with key stakeholders, whether they're government, private sector, or communities. And in that way, we start keeping the conversation that affects an entire sector alive. We then, of course, work with um, national bodies like the Tourism Business Council mm -hmm. um, in also supporting and, and lobbying on behalf of our members that may even be at a local level, but it may require a national government intervention uh, because maybe the local or provincial government cannot move because of, of, of the sphere of government and their mandate. So I think it's an ecosystem that is critical to the success of South Africa. Um, and it's one that I believe we need to continue to do because, again, tourism doesn't live in a vacuum. And the ecosystem requires all players to play their part and understand that only through collaboration we'll be able to succeed collectively as a country. Well, Enver, it sounds like there's really a solid strategy in place. And <clears throat> we've been talking a lot about what is the framework? What is the policy? We've been talking about a lot of the, the things that influence industry. Now, I've just been excited because I'm seeing that Cape Town tourism is moving in the direction of gaming. There's this really hip and happening campaign called Find Your Freedom. It's just so palatably exciting. And this must have been a big thing to pull off during these times. But it's just... It's just talking to so many people and that very important sector, the millennials that are beginning to spend. I mean, the, all the reports say to us, the millennials are where the money is. So tell us about Find Your Freedom. And it's really just so catchy. It's so pertinent. So thanks for that, uh, Janet. So Find Your Freedom is a, a global campaign that we've been running and it still continues to run in, in key source markets around the world. And effectively, I mean, in lockdown, we all, our freedoms were taken. 
and um, taken away for a certain period of time. Freedoms were given back, taken away again. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't only South Africa, it was around the world, you know. Um, and what we realize is that, you know, with revenge travel, um, which is happening more and more, um, we need to be smart about who do we go after and why. And I think to your point is, is that we realize that we need to make a decisions that are research-led. Um, and a lot of the data and insights that we gathered over, you know, during COVID um, demonstrate the fact that uh, millennials would be the first ones who would be willing to travel. Um, they're a lot braver um, than, let's say, an older generation who are a little bit more concerned about travel, especially uh, because of COVID. Um, and we also realized that there are actually higher spenders per trip. So they travel four times a year. They spend on average eighty to 100,000 rand per trip. Phenomenal. Um, and the reason why they can do that is because they're not sitting with some of the debt that most of us older people sit with. When we grew up, our aspirations were a house, a car. You know, and then hope and without with Airbnb communication. and Uber and living light, everybody's living light. It's exactly. phenomenal. So, and so suddenly you have more spend. Absolutely. So because they don't have that debt burden, you know, they can spend things. And for them, experiences is how they measure the mm -hmm. the change and success in life. Whereas for us, it was the material things. They are looking for the things that are meaningful, purpose-driven. And for a destination like Cape Town, we said, well, actually, we have an offer. It speaks to millennial. But the beauty of why we also went after the millennials was the fact that we're looking at the lifetime value of the consumer. So if we get them as an independent traveler now, they may come back later to get married, then to bring a family, maybe to bring a business. So we actually are looking at the, the traveler we're trying to secure today for their first visit as a, a customer that will come come and return and return and return for at least the next couple of decades. Mm -hmm. and, and because our destination can offer um, so much for everybody, irrespective of your lifestyle, your bank balance, um, and what you like and don't like. We've got everything here which we are blessed with. So I think there's enough for that. But how the concept came about was uh, the story of freedom. And because we lost our freedoms, we said, well, you know what? Everybody wants to find something. And the story of freedom for a city like Cape Town, going back to, uh, you know, Mandela's freedom, etc. we said, guys, but people want to find their freedom again. They want to find themselves. And it's got multi-layers to the narrative, but how do you then speak to a millennial audience who are no longer on Facebook, whose attention span and ADD is increasing, who've got mm -hmm. the spending power, um, and traditional mechanisms to talk to them is, is, is not going to help. And that's why I had to go and speak to my millennials in the team and saying, <laughs> okay, guys, <laughs> if you were a traveler, how would you want a destination to talk to you? And then they said, well, you know, uh, we would like to. We like games, but games is not just a trivial thing. Actually, gamification teaches strategy, it teaches a lot of stuff. But we said, okay, cool. So let's create games. And then one of the bright sparks in the in, in the team said, you know, they're obsessed with Black Panther and you know the avatars. And I said, ah, okay. Then the team themselves created avatars that's going to have a persona that you can choose, and a millennial will actually come onto our website, choose an avatar that is either a fearless foodie or someone that likes adventure. Um, and then, or an eco warrior. That's it. Yeah. And by choosing this avatar who you resonate with, this avatar takes you on a, a comes down a rabbit hole of, of video content about the destination that speaks to you. So if you like food, it will show you food content. But the part that was critical was to do the conversion. So anybody can create awareness about the destination, but getting somebody to click and book was the important bit. And that's mm -hmm. why we had to partner with the likes of Expedia, who've got global reach and saying, 
how do we build a game in a tourism landscape, but also build a conversion engine so that when somebody gets excited enough, I don't send them away. I actually take them and allow them to book. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of it is, is that we could actually work with member products to take small video content. And I can tell you now, video content, I was all saying, okay, guys, we'll do one minute video per product. The team came back and said no. And I said, okay, 30 seconds. They said no. Attention span of a millennial is nine seconds. And I said, can't be. Nine seconds, <laughs> what do you get in the time? And, and I think that's also how I'm learning about this market. Yes, the opportunity is there. But it's also understanding how you communicate with that market, what gets them to be excited about stuff, and then how do you keep them engaging with your content? And that's where all the social media channels start feeding in. So for us, it's still a journey. We're learning a lot. And the mm-hmm. campaign, global campaign, is going to come to an end in, I think, September, October. But from what we've seen, the result so far is you know, positive from a brand recognition perspective, but more importantly, for bookings, for products, and for destinations to Cape Town. Where the impact is felt. Absolutely, because that's where the transformative journey actually needs to make sense. It's not about just talking about how great we are as a destination if nobody's coming. Then it's like sitting in an echo chamber. Enver, it's been fascinating chatting to you. You really are working very well with your team to raise Cape Town's profile as a leading and accessible global destination. I wish we could talk forever because I'm excited. I want to go out and explore and I'm sure our listeners want to as well. It's been really such a an interesting engagement. I thank you for your time and wish you well. And being a global traveler, Enver himself is jet setting off somewhere soon. Um, thank you, Enver. It's been really interesting chatting. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Again, all the best with this podcast. It's, it's awesome. So, so, so inspirational. So thank you. We're talking today about all things tourism related and all things Cape Town. Now, you might wonder why we have a jeweler in our studio today, because is jewelry tourism? I don't know. We'll get to know about that. But certainly very pleased to have an award winning jeweler in our midst. Mr. Yair Shemansky, who has come up with a ring that is all things Cape Town. Now, we know that Cape Town is like no other city in the world. It's got its iconic table mountain, deep blue oceans. We're surrounded by nature and, you know, we're spoiled for the sunsets. And there's a signature vibe. I think Cape Town people have a vibe. And from the moment you arrive, there's a certain energy. You know, you're surrounded by multicolored houses. There's a kaleidoscope, it's a cosmopolitan of cultures, friendly people, local and international cuisine. You can turn in any direction and see architecture, sense, sounds. You can see the most fabulous people. And Cape Town as a city, historically and now, thrives on visitors from around the world, pre and post COVID. So this tourism sector is one of the main economic engines of the city. It contributes significantly to employment and sustainability. We heard earlier this afternoon in studio from Enver Duomini, who is the CEO of Cape Town Tourism. And in keeping with all things Phoenix-like, you know, we're in that space where we're making a comeback on everything that is tourism and eventing and the rest of the industry is waking up and picking up. And, um, Mr. Yair Shemansky decided to go and quietly create something, and that is called the Cape Town Ring, which is a constant reminder of this beautiful city. So it's a memento that you can take away with you. Once you visit it, you could order it online. But imagine owning a piece of Cape Town mountain and sea 
Welcome, Yer. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me and hello to the listener. It's a big pleasure. My goodness, you know I'm a jewelry freak, right? You can see. <laughs> I can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to have a ring that is called the Cape Town Ring, and I really think that this is a tourism product. It's not a jewelry product because there's a story and it's con contextualized within the Cape Town landscape. Do you feel the same way? Was that your inspiration? Yes, yeah, so, so the ring, the Cape Town Ring project was born, I think, from the desire to bring Cape Town to the world. We realized that a lot of people heard about Cape Town, but there's a lot of other cities, other destinations worldwide that are competing with Cape Town um, on travelers and visitors. And we thought, how can we bring Cape Town to the world? How do we create a, a worldwide awareness? And as I was flying from New York into Cape Town, as the plane basically taking his turn to land, you can see that majestic view that's really breathtaking of Table Mountain and the seashore. And that's given me the idea to create a jewelry piece that actually encompass all of that breathtaking, but more than that, create a story that you can take worldwide. So imagine you're going to London, you're going to Germany, you're going anywhere in the world, and you will see another person wearing that ring. There's an instant connection, there's a bond. Um, when people go home and they take the captain ring with them, they can tell a story. Um, a ring like an engagement ring, it's visible on your hands all the time, so other people will see it and it will spark a conversation. So the Cape Town Ring Project, it's a brand ambassador for Cape Town. And we also created a website that's called captainring.com. And it shows you as a visitor what to do in Cape Town, where to go, what to see, safety information. And we have partnered with a lot of people from the tourism sector, from the city of Cape Town, Cape Town Tourism, Wine Estate, Game Lodges, Safaris. And everybody contribute content and everybody contribute um, into the awareness and collectively uh, we really want to uplift Cape Town economically and socially by getting more visitors yeah, into Cape Town. Well, yeah, that is really quite a um, big mandate that you've taken on. And I see that the Cape Town ring comes in a box with a book that is all about Cape Town. So this is why I say this is not a ring, it's actually a tourism product. And you would know yourself as your sales have now started and you're busy with all your launch functions, that people are responding very well mm -hmm. to the ring. You had some pretty prominent people do your opening event and you had lots of role players around the table when you finally launched the ring. And that just is a sign for me that there's great buy-in for this product. Yeah, so I must say what's unique about Cape Town compared to any other city in the world. I think it's the the passion that any Kiptonian have for their own city. I don't think any other city in the world have their own people so proud and passionate about the city. So it's a shared responsibility. It's a joint venture. It's a ring that unites us all. And part of the land that we use, the ring that binds us, because everybody in Cape Town really love Cape Town and they fully understand the importance of tourism as a driving engine to the city of Cape Town to function and uh, to continue to thrive. Sounds wonderful, Yair. So mm. the ring comes in silver and gold. 
correct? Yeah. And yes, you can. So the ring, we've done the ring in silver, which is very affordable. We've done it in gold. There's option with diamonds. When you buy the ring, you will get a specialized box, which is done from fully recyclable material. There's also a book that will come with the ring, and ideally you will share the book with as many people as possible. And and for us as a company, because we, we are in Cape Town, we are part of Cape Town, any proceeding from the sales of the ring, and it will be available at many other venues beside the, the Shimansky stores, will go back into the Cape Town ring project in order to enhance Cape Town and further create a global awareness. That sounds wonderful, Jair. And I think that it's a coffee table book that you can see on many, in many international lounges, in people's homes as they travel with this ring. And it's certainly a great gift to be able to pass on to somebody else. I think the days of buying a, a T-shirt with Table Mountain are really over. It's the ring now. Um, look, I, I think it's, they can buy also the T-shirt. The main difference is that you may go out of your T-shirt, the T-shirt may wear down, the ring basically will last forever. You can pass it on to the next generation, but but it's a fantastic memento. It's a fantastic souvenir, and, and also a testimony that you also love Cape Town and also become a brand ambassador to the city of Cape Town. And wherever you're going to meet, you can share your stories, your experiences, and I think the ultimate benefit again it's awareness, and then to get as many people as we can to visit Cape Town and. Once you've been in Cape Town, you will come again because, like I said, there's no other city that is so diverse and so unique and, and really have the whole world in one city. Nayer, we all have a Cape Town story. I have a story of how I came to Cape Town because I got here when I was five years old on a train with my parents. And I remember as we were leaving, my eyes were swollen from crying because I had made so many friends and I just didn't want to leave them and I had a raging temperature. My mother was very worried. She said, oh God, this child is going to get ill. And ever since then, I've wanted to come back and live in Cape Town. What is your Cape Town story? So, I mean, I came to South Africa after spending two years in Japan and selling diamond um, to the Japanese market and I actually came to visit my parents that lived in South Africa at the time. And I did start it in Durban, in, in the flea market, making handcrafted jewelry by hand. And after a while, we started manufacturing platinum jewelry for different jewelers in Cape Town. And I really saw that there's much more activity and action and tourism in Cape Town. So I decided to, to visit Cape Town um, after being for one year in, in Durban. And yeah, and I think I really fell in love with the vibe with the city and ending up relocating to Cape Town. And yeah, and this is where I really understood that Cape Town is really unique. But I think what really got me to be more appreciative in Cape Town, and this for people that are in South Africa, um, I've relocated to New York five years ago. And I can really tell everybody in Cape Town, Cape Town is so special. And some people think the grass is greener on the other side. I think life is what you make of it. There's so many positive and good things in Cape Town that if one's focused on them, you really need to be grateful living in a city like Cape Town. Absolutely. So um, I've been living in Cape Town now for the last 20 years, Yair. 
I eventually wow. did stop crying and decided to come back. I wanted to come <laughs> and study here and I wasn't allowed to. And eventually I applied for a job and that's how I came to Cape Town. So my Cape Town adventure continues. And I can see that you yourself are an adventurer just looking at this uh, fabulous book on the table. It's really a coffee table takeaway book. It's great. Um, it says everything that encapsulates Cape Town. And, you know, you're talking about living in New York. We see so many packaged programming around New York and we all want to walk uh, those streets. We all want to experience buying a, a coffee on the side of the road and eating a pretzel and rollerblading. And I hope that this Cape Town ring uh, encompasses the same kind of energy and that people want to experience everything Cape Town. And uh, certainly great that you're dovetailing the project with the players like Cape Town Tourism and the city of Cape Town, because you can actually uh, tag onto the existing campaigns. And um, I think that there's great potential for this ring and thank you for designing it. We, the women of Cape Town, thank you. And so we did not neglect the men. There's also a, a men version. I'm very interested to hear this. Yeah, so there's also a gen version. You can see it on the, on the website. And, but I think for me, the most important things that all people can take out of it, that today with social media, if it's Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and any other social media, any person in Cape Town, from an individual to cooperation, can take photo of anything that they'll see in Cape Town, anything that they love, they can share it, and collectively, we can enlarge the awareness worldwide and create more attention um, and focus on Captain. So everybody is invited to participate in promoting Captain to the world and everyone can make a difference. Well, yeah, we thank you very much for this, this great creation. It's been uh, interesting chatting to you. Are you spending a bit more time in Cape Town or heading back to your second home now, New York? Because Cape Town is your first home, right? Um, yeah, so I do visit every two months for a few weeks. Today with a direct flight. Very soon, they're going to be over 120 direct flights a month to Captain from the U.S. So it's only one slip away and you wake up in Captain. So it's quite convenient. Yeah, I can't wait. I really can't. It's just fabulous. And, you know, with all the air access initiatives from Westgrow and other players, I'm very pleased to hear that Delta and United are going to be flying in and out and that we have the opportunity to, like you say, fall asleep in Cape Town and wake up with a fresh coffee and bagel in New York. Yeah. Or the other way. Or the other way, <laughs> yeah. exactly. We welcome the other way for sure. Yeah. So thank you, Yair, and all the best with the Cape Town ring. Thank you for joining us. And listeners, I must tell you that Yair has very generously offered us a Cape Town ring, which is going to be a prize giveaway. We encourage you to go onto the Jet Setting with Janet Facebook page and enter our competition in order to win this very special, one-of-a-kind memento that is all things Cape Town. Yeah, thank you for having me and um, really keep promoting Cape Town. Everyone does make a difference. 100%. Thank you, Yair. We're chatting this afternoon with Bia Liebenberg. She is the brand manager for Detlef's Wine Estate. Bia has been in this position since 2013 and comes with several years of experiencing, experience in marketing and sales. Bia has uh, the singular pleasure of working on the Detlef's Wine Estate. And the Detlef's Wine Estate is in the picturesque Bredekloof, Rawsonville area and is the second oldest wine estate in South Africa.
Interestingly enough, it's been under the ownership of the same family, established in 1822, and is currently celebrating 200 years of existence this year. What an accolade, Bia, and how special to be part of this great family. Yeah, it, I mean, yo, uh, it feels like I've been at the farm longer than my almost 10 years that I've been with them. Um, um, you know you're part of the family when po- people start to say, hello, Bia Dietlifs, then you know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it's long enough, but yeah, it's, it's an absolute honor to be part of this milestone celebration of the farm. It's very special. I mean, 200 years, there must have been lots of things. We sit here and we look back and we say, hey, COVID, you know, but over 200 years, how many other crises would the family have had to de- deal with? Floods, famine, all kinds of things, right? Yeah, no, I mean, they were, I, I mean, since I've been on, on the farm, just to think of 10 years, you're talking about 200 years, the amount of uh, natural elements that one actually, not endured, I wouldn't say that very dramatic, um, um, experienced was actually amazing. And how you see sometimes it affects your farm, but not your neighbor's farm. Um, I remember that from about three years ago with black frost in the area, where some farmers got it and others didn't. Um so, so it's always interesting for me that, that we are so small compared to nature. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's, a, it's a learning a curve. On its, uh, a force on its own for sure, Bia. We're very pleased to be chatting to you this afternoon, Bia. We've chatted to the CEO of Cape Town Tourism, who's told us everything about the operations of, uh, of CTT. He's told us about the gamification campaign and all the fun find your freedom things that he's uh, he and his team are doing. We then chatted to Yer Shemansky, who told us about the Cape Town ring. My goodness, Bia, does not buy by a prachtig, eh? That ring um, is very special. That is beautiful. I saw it last Wednesday um, when we were at the launch, and it is mm-hmm. absolutely spectacular. It is. It is. And what a special tribute to all things Cape Town and um, all things... Um, uh, Cape Town and all things tourism. Isn't that special? No, absolutely. I mean, we were standing at almost as where the people walked in. And, um, you know, I, I looked at it was almost like a celebration of all my tourism friends coming together. Isn't it, that it was, special? Because it's no, such actually, a big collaboration. Yeah, and I, and I got home and I said to my husband, it felt like a reunion of tourism friends just coming together, actually for their cause, but still. Um um, it was really special to be part of such a m- memorial, a memorable um, experience, yeah. For sure, for sure. And what an interesting man Yair is. Yeah, well, I met him briefly, uh, as, you know, just before I started talking to the media and whatever, but he is very interesting. For sure. Now, there's a lot of things interesting happening on your side, Bia, and I remember during lockdown that you were one of the first estates to take the mobile tasting to people's homes. And, you know, we have this culture of getting in the car on a weekend, driving somewhere special to do a wine tasting. And it's what brings friends and family together. But you and your team took this in a different direction. You actually have had packages delivered home. How did that how did that whole logistic work, Bia? That was actually uh, qu- quite a battle in the one side because, I mean, we, we hold the record for the biggest virtual tasting in South Africa. Um, we, we started planning it after the first lockdown hit us. And obviously, you, you restrict it on when you can scent the wine because you can only scent the wine when you're allowed to scent the wine. So it's, it's almost like pray and hope and hope everything works out. But at the end of the day, we, we had the first big one. And after that, we did smaller groups uh, because we had to close the tasting room 
Um, it, it just wasn't worth it, except for the fact that it obviously had to be closed at certain times. I'm talking uh, specifically in times we were allowed to to sell wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to bring the dietless experience and the dietless moment home to clients. Um, and it was a consistent drive to, to, to be creative um, and, and to not just stop. Um, because otherwise it, it would have been a lost cause, I must be honest. Um, if you can't bring people to the farm, how else are we going to reach them? And I must say, in, in our industry, and I think you will agree, relationships with our friends in the industry is pivotal. Absolutely. Um, it's what's kept I, us going during this time. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do it without my, 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 my friends in the lifestyle and um, tourism industry. Not at all. Because we collaborated on competitions and, and all of that, just in a sustainability point of view. But for the tastings, it was amazing to experience that, that massive tasting. And I know one of the news channels also like did a whole uh, um, program about it, or uh, insert about it. Um, Sounds so, so wonderful, Pia. Yeah. Did you do it via Zoom? How did you do it? What it were the logistics? Uh, yeah, we had to do Zoom, and I was the the technical lady, and you know me being not being a unicorn. <laughs> I was the techie at the back, um, and yeah, I had grey hair, and um, I had to have a glass of champagne afterwards. I wasn't allowed before because otherwise it's it would always have been a good up. reason to have a glass of bubbles beer. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, but yeah, no, no, it was it was awesome. It was a small production team, but we pulled it off. It sounds phenomenal. So, how many tastings did you do virtually? Sure. I'm going to, it was a lot. I mean, obviously the first one was massive. Yes. Uh, and, and after that, I would say easy, 20, 25, depends. And it was small groups, bigger groups, all around the country. How so what we did, I said package, which they received to the door. And we normally said, if possible, I mean, some of them was corporates where you delivered to individual offices. Some of them, it, it, it depended also on the time of the COVID. Were they allowed to be together? Weren't they allowed to be together? Um, and, and that worked very well to, to, to create a spirit of unity, especially among corporates in that time. For sure. What a great way to bring people together and provide some kind of relief and entertainment. Bia, yeah. it's this kind of innovation that's actually putting you out there. And I know that... Uh, you are shortlisted for the best wine brand from another radio station's competition. And there's just this hype. I mean, everybody's commenting on social media. We've been watching this with great interest because this is not just a wine brand, Bia. This is love. That's, you know, this outpouring of love that's coming from everybody saying we love Dietlefs. We are voting for Dietlefs. And it's also, I think, a great affirmation for you and the farm and the family to say, hey, we didn't know that we were so loved. You probably suspected you were well loved, but isn't it wonderful to see? I must tell you, when they made the announcement, um, because I'm, I work from home, I work remote, and and I heard the announcement on the radio, mm-hmm. I went through the roof and had tears in my eyes. Um, it, just to be nominated. I mean, just oh, let's there to know that you are, like you say, you are loved. And then after that, my phone were ringing off the hook of people oh, saying, wow, oh, we just, you know, we, we've heard, we've heard. So for me, that was just, I think, just so beautiful to, to experience. And for obviously my team, because I mean, um, I, I, you go through dips with everything in life. And, and I think it was just so nice for us to hear that people recognize the continuous efforts, if I can put it that way. Uh, because my whole game plan for our team was to make a household name. And Absolutely. 
love it, but also love the people. We're very people oriented in, in the business. Now, talking about people oriented beer, is the tasting room now open? Can we drive yeah. out and visit you? Yes, we've opened up the tasting room a week ago. Um, oh, wow. Late to Saturday, um, obviously Mondays, we normally start around 19, depending on how early you are thirsty. But I mean, let's say <laughs> 10 o'clock um, to 5 o'clock. And then obviously on Saturdays from 10 to 3, we close on um, Sundays. So we really want to encourage people to come and visit us and, and really just enjoy a deadlifts moment with us. Well, a deadlifts moment is a very special moment, Bea, and we thank you for giving us very many moments on the show today. It's been great chatting to you. Bea has given us a phenomenal prize, listeners. Um, it's just a great gift to be able to experience the deadlifts wines. And uh, the best way to win that is to go onto the Jet Setting with Janet Facebook page. Tell us why you think a drive to Rawsonville and a taste of Detlef's is going to make your day. And we will choose, obviously, the most creative winners. And Bea, you're middle, in the middle of somewhere. You're jet setting because you said you are somewhere in the bush, right? Uh, well, yeah, in the bush between the elephants. No, I'm joking. Uh, um, <laughs> um, I do African home in Mololulu in um, about an hour's drive from PE. I'm at the Addo Elephant Park. Oh, how fabulous. It sounds fantastic. We wish you a great long weekend. I'm assuming this is a long weekend and this is not work-related at all. It's work-related. No, no, no. No ways. I don't believe you anymore. <laughs> no, I promise you it's work-related. I'm doing a wine tasting. Oh, fantastic. Why couldn't you do that virtually, Bia? You've been doing this virtually all of this time. Sometimes you just, you know, we've got now the opportunity. I'm kidding you. You don't even person. need to explain. <laughs> no, well, it's awesome. As effervescent as the Detlef Champagne is our Bea Liebenberg, the marketing and sales manager for Detlef's Wine, joining us this afternoon from Addo Elephant Park, where she herself is jet setting. Bea, I wish you a fantastic champagne kind of weekend. Oh, thank you, Janet. And thank you for the time. And rounding off our show this week is uh, a wine and tourism consultant, always handy. Somebody who tells you what is happening wine-wise and how you should swirl your glass. Am I assuming that right, Andre Morgenthal? Welcome <laughs> to Jet Setting with Janet. Hi, Janet. Thank you very much for, being, for having me. It's a great pleasure, Andre. You know, um, I'm trying to work out how philosophy, language and drama has led you to the world of wine. Um, it's pretty easy. You just start drinking wine and start talking about it, and it's um, it leads into drama, and then the rest unfolds. <laughs> drama and great deep philosophical discussions, right? Yeah, late at night. Mm, sounds about right. So, um, Andre, as a product of the University of Stellenbosch, you didn't study viticulture but you started a wine tourism business and you started offering specialized wine tours to discerning wine drinkers and did some training and consulting to restaurants, hotels and lodges. And you've also been a lecturer at the Cape Wine Academy. But when I look at all of that, I think that, uh, you know, that is the sum of the parts that make up what you do right now. Am I right in assuming that? Yeah, I mean, I, while I was studying philosophy and drama and languages, I realized that, you know, I'm not going to make much money. Um, and to be honest, I'm not making much money now either. I was about to ask, I, that it's changed no, so dramatically. I, it basically, um, 
the the drama helped because it is um, wine is theatre. When you tell the stories around wine and, and to, um, to 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 market wines, so um, I had the privilege to have lunch with Dr. Rupert many many years ago, along with Madame de Lancassar that um, started Glen Ellie in Salimbosh. Mm-hmm. When she was out here with I was with my wine tourism business, I I took her and her grandchildren around for a week, and one of the visits was a lunch with with Dr. Rupert at Clear Cup. That's and he special. at some point asked me, you know, he said, so Andre, tell me what you do. And I said, no, I'm in the wine industry. And he said, well, I can tell you right now, you're never going to make money, but you'll secure yourself a fantastic lifestyle. <laughs> and, um, he, and ironically enough, with the, um, the, the old wine project that we started in 2016, his son, Mr. Johan Rupert, he gave us seed funding to start the old wine project. And it was really an interesting um, experience to, to try and, and start up um, a business that that there's no handbook for, mm-hmm. but we got a mandate to preserve and conserve old vineyards and and create a business model that that will work for brand owners and grape growers, and um, ultimately the sustainability of our our viticultural heritage and um, also the people that are involved, uh, not only the owners of the land but the the vineyard workers to keep everybody in in in, in jobs. That's amazing work, Andre, and very specialized. So what is the Old Vine Project? Help us to understand. I think our listeners' interests are piqued. Yeah, so so it's something that started almost 20 years ago with Rosa Kruger, um, who um, became interested in, you know, why old vine wines are different. Um, she traveled the world and tasted wines. And w- when she was at Lomara, when she worked for Mr. Rupert, the two of them spoke and decided to you know, create an old vine range for them as well. But in the meantime, she was busy documenting the past 20 years already, all the old vine parcels in, in the Western Cape. And, um, and then by word of mouth, you know, some of our prominent winemakers heard about, you know, what she's doing and they secured the parcels and the grapes and started making great wines from it. So um, that would be Ibn Saadi and the Mother News and Chris Arleit and Adi Bardnos and so forth in the beginning. And um, it grew from there where um, it was basically um, running out of a kitchen. And um, once we got, well, she got the seed funding and she appointed me. I was still at Wines of South Africa. Mm-hmm. I was there for almost 20 years as a communications manager. And when this opportunity came up, I thought, well, this is a great challenge. It's never been done before. And um the the principles are that old vines is defined um, that it's three five years and older, and there's a whole story behind why we decided on on three five years, but it's internationally um, acknowledged. Um, that our so-called um, counterparts, whether in South America or Northern America, Australia, Central Europe, all agree that you know 30, 40 years is, is uh, recognized as being old. But what's interesting about South Africa and the Old Vine Project here is that we basically proclaimed 
um, that standard of 35 years and older. And we also have a seal, a certified heritage vintage seal that the consumer can then see and identify that this is a, a wine with heritage and there's traceability because the planting date of that block is on the seal mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's authentic. So that that's the short of what the Old Vine Project is. So it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's about conserving our viticultural heritage, our old vines, learning from them, especially in the light of climate change, why those vineyards have survived for so many decades, like 60, 80, over 100 years in one spot. Um, so there's science involved in research. There's also the people you know, that's involved in with these these vineyards, whether it's other fascinating, Andre. I mean, yeah. who knew? Um, it, it's just uh, you're also a tradition bearer. If I listen to what you're saying, and you you meld the old vines with new vines, am I correct? Yeah. So so I coined the term. Um, plant to grow old um, a couple of years ago because what we, we, we realized is not only about the old vines, you know, we're also looking to our future and, and planting vineyards that will be there for generations to come, you know, for our children and their children and um, that that there will be vineyards. And as I mentioned, climate change is a big challenge for us and, and um, I was just in a meeting this morning um, with the Chilean Blanc Association and um, their friends counterparts because they're hosting a Chien Blanc Congress here in November and a big um, item on the agenda is climate change and how it influences our, our winemaking and our viticulture. Well, what I love about chatting to you, Andre, is that you're on the cusp of all things that are current and happening and in that context, I know that you're also the chairperson of the Great Wine Capital's Global Network here in South Africa, which is a project of Westgrow. Is that correct? I'm I'm the chair of the the judging panel for best of wine tourism, so I'm a small cog in in, in the big machine there that Westgrow runs, and um, and you, your friend our mutual friend Margie is involved on on the wine tourism side. So yeah, I've and I've been involved with the Great One Capitals via my my position at Wines of Africa representing South Africa for, you know, as I would say 15 years before I left Waza and started the Old Vine Project and other projects. So, yeah. Um, That's very interesting. That's very interesting, Andre. I think that uh, we're really looking forward to all the, the resources and, you know, this uh, plan to grow old is quite interesting because uh, who would have thought that using heritage vines and creating new, you're creating a new blend, right? Or a new, what do you call it? Please, I'm so unschooled in these things. What would you call that when you no, no, no. old with the, with the new? So, so it's basically using the, the, the knowledge of what we learn from why old vines survived in adverse conditions um, to then plant to grow old, meaning that you plant a vineyard that's not recyclable in a 20-year cycle. You know, um, As soon as the vineyard reaches 20 years and beyond, the, the yield drops to a point where it's not economically viable for the farmer to keep that, that block on his farm anymore. So the, the solution is either to plant young vines that's high yielding, 
that you can um, you know make more money per hectare that's sustainable for the farm or you plant citrus or any other more economically viable agricultural product so that's what we're trying to do is 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 we we instilled a sentiment that you can actually plant a vineyard and even if the the yield starts dropping you can start charging more per ton or per parcel okay. and still keep that vineyard in the ground that makes because it is a known fact that old vines um give you grapes that are um complex i mean the juice is complex the wine in the end is um just of a, of a different nature and i'm not saying all old vines make great wines and and fantastic wines are made from young vines it's just that there are special parcels of old vines that make very special wines and that's that's a proven thing across the world in all wine regions if you if you visit um spain or portugal the first thing they do is they take you to their old vines so then you talk about the younger blocks mm-hmm. so it's a it's a it's a historical thing in in europe that's fantastic andre it's been most fascinating chatting to you about the old vine project and the work that you're involved in it's really great to see how a niche has been created out of a 20-year track record in the wine space 20 years or more and uh, how a philosopher who is uh, reading books every so often and drinking lots of wine can migrate to this. I think it's a great career to migrate to. People in the wine space think you can become a uh, sommelier, you can, you know, become a, um, a wine farmer, but this is very niche and it's certainly something that's needed in the industry. Who knows how many lockdowns and, and alcohol restrictions we've had. So certainly a great service for our industry. No, thanks, Jen. It is very exciting. And the fact that we've created the category and um, we're adding value to the industry on whatever level um, is very exciting and innovative. Great chatting to you, Andre. Wishing you all the best for a whiny weekend ahead. Any recommendations for our listeners of where they should navigate to to do some great wine tasting? All depends on, I believe that's going to be quite bad weather this weekend. So one should choose if you want to go to a winery somewhere where there's a fireplace, nice and cozy. (laughs) Yes, of course. And I'm sure the wine estates have lots of winter comfort food and uh, great reds to mull over. Thank you for the recommendation, Andre. I said, oh, you can just stay home and, and, and drink at home. And you've also mentioned the Great Run Capitals. I mean, on the website, there's a, the best of list of um, the best wineries to visit. Ah, that's a good resource um, to have. Thank you for pointing us in that direction. Yeah, that's our, our raison d'etre behind the Great Run Capitals and the best of wine tourism is where to go um, to have the best wine tourism experience. Well, we'll certainly be consulting that, Andre. Thank you for joining us again on uh, Jet Setting with Janet. It's been great chatting to you. Thanks, Janet. Have a nice weekend. This weekly travel program, Jet Sitting with Janet, is proudly sponsored by MLT Car Hire and Tours. Are you looking for a highly professional, established vehicle rental service? Look no further. MLT Car Hire and Tours delivers on service excellence and competitive prices. Log on to mltcarhireandtours.co.za for their full range of benefits or MLT Car Hire and Tours on Facebook.